0: it's about time it's about time the phone rang and I answered and that's what I said it's about time two Thursdays ago Kay and I heard that a senior citizen center on the south side needed help administering COVID-19 vaccines I I phoned the executive director. I texted her. I emailed her. I phoned her again. I texted her. I emailed her, uh, oh, I don't know, second, third, fourth time. And finally, I just threw up my hands. So on Saturday, Kay and I were putting on our tennis shoes to have our long Saturday walk. And the phone rang. Can you get here right away? She said. And I hung up the phone and said, It's about time. (laughs) Well, Kay and I went down to the south side, and uh, what we discovered was more than we had expected. Um, It was a significant operation, working mainly to try to vaccine seniors who were at risk. Hundreds would be vaccinated that day. Of course, the executive director was overjoyed to have Kay because she could actually administer the vaccine and oversee nursing students as they tried uh, to Uh, learn their their new vocation I was put in in charge of of uh, of traffic control and as the uh, folks came in um, many of them in wheelchairs some even on stretchers and oh good a host of them on walkers uh, many being assisted by younger members of their family I would send them to a desk one two three four five or six And they would be screened and their their anxiety would be assuaged. Fears would begin to release and they would go and have their first of two vaccinations. Now, what really surprised me uh, when Kay and I went were the ages of the volunteers. I worked with a 28-year-old software engineer a 32-year-old CPA, a uh, second-year medical student, a uh, sophomore at SMU, a junior from Rice, a first-year graduate student at Harvard, and a physician from Dallas that wanted to see how this operation was working. All much younger than Kay and, and me. And what really, really struck me was the happiness factor in the room it was a Texas-sized room it used to be a family fitness center so it was cavernous and it was just filled with people who had joy well joy that I rarely see it was joy beyond what I catch at a restaurant beyond that which I experience at an amusement park or at even a family gathering it was Happiness directed towards others. It was a joy that was there because it was to be shared. I've experienced that a few times uh, in other places, but I certainly experienced it there, a Texas size type of joy. And it really is all about time, isn't it? It's about how we use the time you and I have been given. It's all about time. And it's about time maybe we took took measure of where we are. You know, the disciples lead us in this. At just the right time, Jesus calls them to to follow him. Now, if you think about it, all four of those guys, those young fellows, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they would have grown up together there in that fishing village in Capernaum. They would have played together as young boys. Uh, probably, if they were lucky enough, go to Hebrew school at the synagogue. They probably were bar mitzvahed about the same time. We figure they were about 30 years old, about the same age as Jesus, maybe a little younger. Um, and they probably attended each other's weddings, and so it goes. We know they worked with each other. The, the shore around Capernaum is just so big, so fishermen have to be in contact with one another but here's one thing they knew they did not have carte blanche on time if they were approaching 30 they knew that the average mortality rate of a male during Jesus's time was 35 time was running out and so the call from Jesus is all the more poignant to them now Jesus Ends up in Capernaum. He kind of makes it his headquarters, his home. And he goes about town after his second cousin, John the Baptist, is arrested. And he says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, that's stirring in the English, but in the Greek, it is riveting. The time is fulfilled. Uh, Time here is the Greek word kairos which means God's intentional time. So God's intentions, God's uh, eternal time is intersecting chronological time. God's time is intersecting ours. The kingdom of God has come near. Uh, the Greek for that is beseo tau, theo. It means really more like God's rule is now occurring. God's reign is now on earth. <laughs> he is now in charge. Jesus has made that patently clear. Repent. Repent. Well, that's a word you hear often in sermons. It comes from the word metano, uh, metanoia, which means turn around and go a new direction. Turn around and go a new direction. And finally, um, and, and, and finally, uh, believe, repent, and believe the good news. The word here, believe, is a, is a very important Greek word, pistio, or pist from the, from the root pistis, which means more, it means to entrust yourself. It doesn't mean believe up here. It means to entrust yourself. So what, what these fishermen, these four young guys who had grown up together are hearing... God's time, God's time is invading our own. God's rule is now occurring. Stop what you're doing and turn around and go an entirely new direction. And entrust your whole self, entrust your life, entrust everything to the good news and to the one who brings the good news. Now that's stirring, don't you think? That's what they heard. And hopefully that today is what we're hearing. Now, they said yes, they got up out of their boats and went. But what happened next? Well, I have to imagine uh, that there was an urgency uh, and just like maybe we're feeling some urgency today in the midst of all this COVID malaise, there was an urgency to get out of the boat and go the new direction, but they didn't expect almost the ecstatic feeling they had. have there's nothing quite like saying yes to the call of Jesus and letting him unburden us is there there's nothing quite like that and perhaps you remember the times that you have done that you've been trying to work out everything on your own and you finally say Lord I cannot do it any longer and he says that's what I've been waiting to hear and so you you release those burdens and you were going this way but now you're going to go this way right Now, Ignatius of Loyola, uh, the great Spanish uh, reformer who lived in the 16th century, said this is the first step in following Jesus. It is called purgation. Sounds like a pretty terrible medical term, Uh, but purgation means exactly what you think. You purge yourself of the old life and you go with the new and you feel, well, you feel reborn That's why we call it rebirth, right? And purgation is wonderful, and, uh, and that's what the disciples would have felt as they got out of the boats. Maybe it's what you felt as well. Um, the, second, the second stage in our, in our following Jesus is not quite as attractive. It sounds attractive. It's called illumination. Uh, but illumination is when we finally see ourselves as we are. Just as I am, the song says, and it's not a pretty picture. I often tell people it's like being on a business trip and getting ready uh, to go out the door, you know, as you're getting dressed and you turn and see yourself naked in a motel mirror and you say to yourself, this couldn't possibly be me, right, right? Well, that's what happens in illumination. You see yourself as you are. It is key in, in, in following Christ. And for Peter, of course, uh, his crucible was when, after being with Jesus for almost three years, he denies him within earshot of the man he said he loved. Denies him three times. And when the cock crows, Peter goes outside the gates and he weeps bitterly. He weeps like a man who wishes he could die. That's illumination. And we all have to come to grips with that, right? We all have to come to grips with that you have to see there's no movement until we look at ourselves as we are the next step is also tough it's called union and ignatius is third step in union um we realize um that the road ahead uh can be tough uh you know uh the disciples experience this somewhat um, at uh, at the Ascension. Our window here, our our final window in the nave, shows Jesus ascending, and it's glorious. It doesn't really show the faces of the anxious disciples saying, "Now what do we do? What do we do?" I mean, now he's gone for good. A sense of abandonment. Or you could also, Kay and I this morning in our morning prayer uh, read Mark ten. Uh, when um, when Peter says Lord we've left everything we've left everything and now you're telling that's not quite enough and Jesus turns to Peter and says Pete no one has left family or land or wealth or anything else it would not get a hundredfold more when you when you come to me and I can only imagine Pete going oh yeah We call this step union because at this point of our maturity in following Christ, we quit loving God for our sake, and we love God for His sake. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? We quit loving God for all the things He might or may not do for us, and we love Him solely for His sake. There's no way to truly be a disciple until we get to that point. Now, this is not a linear path. You know, we Westerners think, okay, well, I'm in the midst of purgation now, but pretty soon I will be in illumination, and I'll, I'll muscle through that. And then finally, union. No, it doesn't work that way. If I'm just looking at a handful of people in here, but I know all of you pretty well, and I think all of you know it is recurring. We have to We, we go through purgation where we fall in love with Jesus for the first time again. We, we go through illumination. We have to take account of ourselves and say, Oh, my Lord, if I've fallen into that junk yet another time, am I really look like this? And then we finally give up and love the Lord just because He's the Lord. <laughs> just because He's everything. And I would say it's like a circle, but it's not. It's like a spiral. It's like a spiral. And as we begin to mature in Christ as we follow him. That spiral gets, gets narrower and narrower. And towards the end, we're mainly in union. We're mainly, we finally are in union. And at the time of our death, when that time comes, it's just a, a tiny step to the other side of the veil. Because we're already in the presence of the one we love so much. That's the way it looks. You know, I told you that that room Kay and I were in last week was one of the times that I had felt this type of self-giving joy, this happiness. There was another Texas-sized room in which I experienced the same thing, and I wasn't prepared for it then either. It was 1974. I uh, I was at Trinity University, and a guy I played ball with said, Pat, I got two Astros tickets. And even though the Astrodome by that time had been open for uh, nine years, it was still one of the great wonders of the world. And went to the Astrodome, not thinking about who they were playing, but they were, they were, they were up against the Atlanta Braves. And Hank Aaron stood up at the plate. He let the first pitch go by looking, but the second pitch, he hit that ball so hard, I swear I thought it hit off the back of the Astrodome. And what happened? Everyone in the Astrodome stood up. It was a Saturday. Everybody stood up. Everybody, all the Astros fans all stood up and they started applauding. They are applauding for this black man who was on the precipice of breaking a white man's record. And I could feel the happiness for him just being thrust towards him. And the utter joy. That's that's where we're supposed to live, my brothers and sisters in Christ. In that kind of room. Follow the one. Follow the one who can take you there. for surely it's high time we did so.